0: I was ready. I, I, I couldn't really focus the energy I wanted on mm-hmm. comedy, especially if it was eight o'clock at night and we had a conference call with Korea and I had some show that I wanted to go to. Yeah. And I had to cancel going to my show and it happened a couple times. Oh, that must've burned you up. Yeah. Cause you're not getting on all that many shows back then. Gee.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talk to comedian Aaron Cominos-Smith. We talk about him graduating Cornell University with a degree in architecture and leaving a very promising career to become a stand-up comedian. That's crazy! We're going to hear all about it. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a filmmaker, a podcaster, a musician, or someone that takes videos on their phone, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life so much easier and your productions so much better. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links and more information. yes there is yeah (laughs) i love it cool cool well thanks for uh, coming by and uh so you need to know that you are much smarter than me you graduated cornell university with a degree in architecture
0: wow thank you uh i don't know that i'm much smarter than you maybe school smarts architecture wise maybe i have more knowledge about architecture but i'm sure you're much smarter than me on things i know nothing about architecture well, I know nothing about audio equipment, <laughs> and you have a massive amount of audio
1: equipment in yes. your apartment. Yes, you're being uh, humble. But <laughs> you, you got into Cornell University
0: yes. to study architecture. It's a five-year program. Five-year program. Um, why architecture? From the time I was a little kid, yeah, I always knew it was what
1: I wanted to do. That's amazing. But then you switched. You just dropped your architecture degree and pursued stand-up comedy. And you've been a stand-up comedian for about 12 years now.
0: Yes. So it looks on paper like I just dropped it. Yeah, Uh, I guess if you plotted my career path. Drop then, the architecture. Right. You would see the line would take a sudden turn. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wouldn't even be a turn. It would be a gap to a brand new line starting. Just a big fall off. Yeah. And so what it was. With dollar signs just dwindling. Yes. We, we said there are way too much, way too much money in architecture. <laughs> I don't like all this tiny amount of income that I'm kind of making in architecture. Let me make even less in well, comedy. The, there is money in architecture or no. I think down the road mm-hmm. when you're older and you are a partner at a firm, or you started your own practice years and years later after you started your own practice and you have some clout and uh-huh. people want to hire you, that's when there's some money. But as a beginning, you're technically a junior architect. That's your t- your job title. That still sounds
1: impressive. I mean, if you told me you're a junior architect that
0: graduated Cornell, I'd be like, oh, he's making six figures. Oh, definitely not. Really? Yeah. And there wasn't even a six at the beginning of the fifth figure. That oh, no. That was the title of my <laughs> Really? Yeah, no. it was very a very small number. It was interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe teachers make more money when they start. Than junior architects. Yeah. It's but, the kind of thing where you sort of take that hit in the beginning. And right. then as you move up, there's a pretty good increase after three, four, five years. So in order to move up in architecture, don't you have to be hired by people to draw up plans and build? So there's a couple different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. I was, when I first graduated from Cornell, I managed to get a job straight out of school at a big firm in midtown i was about 300 architects i believe there and how many junior architects <laughs> 7, i don't know 000. how many how many juniors were running they didn't call us junior like uh uh-huh. like sean connery and indiana jones in last crusade uh-huh. junior yeah it's all yeah. these buildings it wasn't like that it uh-huh. was uh they're probably about 40 50 of us okay and you know they can kind of plug you into any team as because the, the team gets bigger i'll I'll explain the basic how an architecture project would work Mm -hmm. is there's four phases there's the first phase which is just the um coming up with ideas uh what should we make our building look like the schematic design phase then there's the design development phase where we actually increase the scale of our drawings maybe you have a little doodle of what the building might look like Hey, let's actually draw it now at two scale. Right. F- try to figure out where the columns go. How's plumbing going to fit in this thing? Bust up the Legos. Right. Exactly. You always need Legos, and they <laughs> don't all have to be the same color. use whatever colors. <laughs> you know, sorting those colors is a real pain in the mm-hmm. ass. But so the, after design development, which might take three months, six months, you have to add more people to the team to start doing those drawings at bigger scales and figuring out where the piping is going and right. what kind of tiles do we want? What do the exterior to the wall be? How's the electricity getting through? Then, once you finish your design development phase, which is your second phase, you go on to construction documents. So now we need to actually draw this building with enough pieces of paper and enough description so that I can hand it off to a contractor and they can just build it. And you need to know a ton of math. Uh, yes and no. You like need the, to have the physics a physics of building
1: structures.
0: So you need to have a grasp of math. Mm-hmm. You need to understand, you know, I can't have a 400 foot long beam with only two little columns holding it up. You know, you need to understand that. Right. But you really, you don't need to know that you're going to hire a structural engineer to okay. figure the actual details out. You just need to have a basic understanding. I mean, I took three semesters of structural engineering in college. Yeah. The conceptual one I did really well. And then I nearly failed the two semesters where you needed to actually calculate the thickness of the reinforcement bar and the lower half of a concrete slab with an 80 pound per square foot live load. I had no idea what the hell was going on. Does that
1: kind of stuff excite you? Like the the concept of a suspension
0: bridge, for example, how they build a bridge that's just like... Holding, yeah. because of the physics of the suspension. That is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like those bridge building games on your on your iPod. I like playing those. Uh-huh. iPod, iPad. Who on <laughs> an iPod? We'll wow. edit that out. iPad. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> edit out. Edit out anything that makes me sound old. Yes, that I am. That does it. I am twenty two years old. I am not losing any hair. That's your um, industry age. I do not have any gray hairs in my beard. I am twenty two years old. You, you look like you just <laughs> came out of the womb. I just came out of college. Uh that's that's just came out of the womb. That's, <laughs> too young. He's too young. He's too young to be podcasting. Wow, you've been a comic uh, for twelve years and you look like you just came out of the womb. Yeah, well, you know, twelve I started in the womb. It's a very <laughs> it's good. good scene. It's a good scene in there. Good right. comedy scene. A lot of very supportive. Must feel like you're bombing a lot. You just <laughs> jokes to nothingness. Echoes. <laughs> a lot of echoing in there, garbled. Um but so then with architecture, there's mm-hmm. a fourth phase, which is when they actually start building the building. Right. They're gonna have a lot of questions. So that's just the construction administration phase. Mm-hmm. So if you stick with a, an architecture firm for a long time, you can move your way up in that firm uh-huh. and go from just being a junior architect to being a senior architect. You can actually sit for your architecture exams to become a licensed architect. So oh, you're so not that's licensed. You in cool no, you're out. not licensed when you graduate. Uh-huh. You get a professional degree when you graduate from a five-year program. A professional degree is required... As part of getting a license to be a licensed architect, you need right. to get a certain number of hours doing all these different kinds of architectural things, construction, development, all that stuff. Interesting. Is Design. There any,
1: it's an, is there any truth to this? Back in my temping days, yeah, when I was temping at all kinds of different offices, I temped for an architecture firm, and I found that a lot of the architects there were very flamboyant. They're like they had uh, personalities of an, like you would more find
0: with artists. So, yes, there are uh a lot of not straight dudes in mm-hmm. architecture. I didn't uh, even mean gay. I just meant like I did mean gay. Oh, uh, you did? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's a combination of architects are artists who don't want to admit that they're corporate.
1: Yes, It's a,
0: it, it, we we and that was part of my problem with architecture. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely this very artsy side to it, which was great. I thought that was fantastic that I was in an office, but we, everyone wasn't just talking about their stock portfolios or whatever. Yeah, it's like we a could corporate talk about. setting, but it does not feel corporate. So I had we had the negatives of a corporate setting in that my boss had a boss who had a boss, right, which is very frustrating, mm-hmm. and you know. But we had the negatives, or we didn't have the positives of being in a corporate setting. In a real corporate setting, you know. This is my salary. I'll be getting a salary review at this time. I have an HR department I can go to. I have unlimited water and coffee. Right. You can go that, that they made sure they made sure we had (laughs) coffee for sure. Um, But our HR director had quit at some point and they just never hired another one because they had this attitude of, Hey, we're all artsy. We don't need, we don't need the man to deal with our human resources. And it's like, no, no guys, I actually, I want to know, When am I getting a salary review? Yeah. How do my, how does my vacation time work? How does all that? And they, that sounds like purposefully
1: implementing anarchy.
0: Yeah. Well, they tried to act like, Hey, if this was some art gallery, we wouldn't really care. Right. Just whatever. You'll just take vacation whenever, but I wouldn't expect
1: people that are into architecture to be so, uh, kind of artsy and
0: out of the mainstream of thinking. I mean, because most architecture we think of is garbage. I mean, mm. most buildings that are built are horrendous, just big tall rectangles. yeah, or, they're just or any think about any have you ever seen a building in the suburbs that you've been like, "Hey, that's really interesting. No, not unless it was like a Frank Lloyd Wright or something right, like unless that. it was falling water, which is you know out in the middle of the woods and right. I, I mean, so when you think about it, most buildings that are built are garbage. yeah, and one one of the ways that it's been described, and I really like this description is it's kind of like a diving competition. Where in the suburbs, when you're trying to just do something with the lowest amount of budget, you're trying for a one out of ten, like a diving competition. And all these buildings in the suburbs successfully achieve a one out of ten.
1: Right. Does so it
0: keep the rain off your head? Yes. Does it keep you warm in the winter? Yes. Right. You build stuff for practical purposes. Right. More practical. And then maybe you put a little two fancy columns out front and everyone goes, oh, it's so nice. Uh-huh. Right. And I say, well, you're not the fucking Coliseum. Why? Why are these <laughs> here? Why did you put Corinthian columns Right. You're build, like, I think it's so dumb, but people will see that and they think, oh, it's architectural. Right. When it's not. I mean, when you look at it then, so rarely do you actually have an opportunity to try for a 7 out of 10, an 8 out of 10. So I'm not going to look around in suburbia. Well, because most people don't want to pay for that. Well, exactly. So like, I'm not going to criticize a Panera out in the middle of the suburbs, uh-huh. the architecture on it, I'm not, although those actually have some decent architectural moves, mm. which I find interesting. But if I see a building, for example, the Freedom Tower, which is now called One World Trade Center, Mm because we forgot that the whole point of it was supposed to be about freedom and responding, whatever. That building had to be an 11 out of 10. Right. And I think... Is it? No. We failed miserably with what we got. When compared to other office buildings, the Freedom Tower, pretty good. Yeah better than most other office buildings. It's a six out of 10, a seven out of 10. Right, but then you think of the structures in Europe and you're like, it doesn't even compare. Well, that's what I mean is it was our opportunity. You can't make every building try to be a 10 out of 10. That would be not budget conscious. That would be silly. Why was the architecture so much more interesting when they didn't even have the tools and supplies that we have now? Well, because they understood the importance of architecture a lot more back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head now, but if we think back to ancient Rome, most people probably couldn't even read. They couldn't, you know, check the newspaper every day. But if you walked by the Pantheon and you were allowed to go in for whatever reason, and you see this perfect sphere, and when you stand in the middle, you're where that Oculus opening in the top would be touching right on the bottom. You're, you're physically moved and you will now probably respect whoever is in charge just because of this building. Right. You know, no one walks into a Chase bank and is like, I'm going to trust you guys with my money because of how nice this space feels. Well, it doesn't ever really feel special. Exactly. Yeah. It never does. Maybe they just had more time back then. Well, that too. They had a different concept of it wasn't about building things just to get them built. They knew even the head architects a lot of times would know that they wouldn't still be alive when the buildings were completed. Right. I mean, and I think there's an interesting... Floor plan of the Metropolitan Museum of Art mm-hmm. when they started it in 1899 or something, and it said the progress that they were expecting, and it was like labeled on the bottom the different construction phases, and it said something like construction plan 1899 to 1999. Wow! And so someone actually realized, hey, there's no way we're going to complete this building, right? But we we got to we don't start now, it'll never be done, right? I mean, no one has that mentality. It finished before 1999, though. Yes. Yeah. Well, the building was finished, but yeah. just this idea, though, that, you know, it will still be going. Right. Even after we're not here. It's cool to see those kinds of values here in the U.S. There's definitely yeah. so much less of it. Oh, definitely. I, it. I mean, think about every building that's built, any house that's built in suburbia, they put a roof on, you know, the roof is only supposed to last 30 years. Right. If so, you don't replace that, the building will just fall down.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's not even. That's to me, doesn't even seem like an architectural thing. It's just like a choice of, Mm -hmm. like, we don't insulate things well. Yeah. Everything's very lightly insulated, so we just burn up all the oil to keep it warm. Yeah. Yeah, and I was in Germany a couple years, a few years ago, and uh, I saw them insulating a building, and it was just like this thick, like almost three feet of insulation on the sides. I guess they have, uh, you know, regulations and stuff. Think about
0: all the square footage you'd be losing inside the building now. You can't rent that out. Right. You can't sell that. Right. Yeah, you just pawn off the heating bill to the uh, tenant. Yeah. I mean, hey, if I'm the developer, who cares how much more they have to spend years down the road? Right. So from an architect's perspective, is uh, something like Town just a total disaster? I mean, I wouldn't call it a disaster because there's two ways. You have to look at it from an urban planning perspective Mm -hmm. and at the individual level of the actual buildings. I mean, if you're able to provide on a mass scale, affordable housing to people just coming back from the war, Mm -hmm. who are probably all these guys living in Brooklyn and brownstones and crammed together. And now for a reasonable price, they can get a small yard and a place to park their car. I don't think that's so crazy. You found a way to mass produce. You're not building these houses one at a time and drawing plans individually. They realized, hey, we can just come up with four versions. And let's build a couple thousand houses, right? and you can pick which one. And we'll have a few little details. You can change the color of the facade. So I think that's an intriguing idea mm-hmm. that you can create at an affordable level. People can get their own private houses. right? From an urban planning and responsibility level, is that really the best use of land and space to spread everybody out like that? And everyone now has to have a car, and we pollute more. I mean, did they understand climate change back in the nineteen 19- 50s and late right. 40s I, I don't know. Is that
1: something that architects cover like not only just the structure of a building but <clears throat> the whole way like a town or a city would be planned and worked out
0: with the roads and uh, mass transit perhaps? I mean, yes and no. Urban planners are a whole other it's a field. whole other, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think a lot of architects it's funny architects by default are kind have to be sort of experts in everything. Uh-huh. You have to be like if you're an architect who stand-up doesn't stand up comedy too? Uh, obviously stand up comedy, because you have to think how would a stand up comic work in this space because we can make any space a potential venue. Uh but yeah, you have to know it down to the most detailed level of you have to be someone who's at least aware of what wall colors and finishes should be in your building. Right. And you should understand that on the grand scale. Why are you making your building at that angle? Right. Are you just at that angle because that's the way the street is? Should you be making your building slightly angled in a different direction because the sun rises in a certain way. You know, you kind of have to know everything. Yeah.
1: And it affects how a person feels. I mean, if you walk into a beautiful palace every Mm -hmm. day, you're going to feel,
0: you're probably going to
1: stand up more straight.
0: Yeah. Why does Grand (laughs) Central feel so great? You walk into that huge waiting room Mm -hmm. and that place is amazing. You can't walk in there and not feel good. Right. Or feel elevated. And then you walk into Penn Station and you're like, did a, did a bum just shit on me? Did I, did I just shit on a bum? What right. happened? You don't, did I just shit myself? Yeah. Did I shit myself? I might have. I think it's okay here, but you wouldn't dream of shitting on yourself in Grand Central. No. Penn Station, go for it. Shit away. Yeah. Just because of the mess you'd make in such yeah. a beautiful space. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you kind of have to know everything. I, I have personal feelings about mass transit and whatever, but that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So a lot of a lot of that Grand Central is the high ceilings. Mm-hmm. We I think it's it's kind of more of an ethereal, uh, instinctive feeling that you get when you're in a place with high ceilings. Like yeah. I feel great. It feels so big, and you might not realize
0: exactly that it's just that. There's high ceilings. Yeah, it's the total. It's the churches are like that. Mm-hmm. Grand Central is like that. The Pantheon in Rome that I would mentioned is like that. Right. This amazing high ceiling. And it's so often religious spaces that have that high mm-hmm. soaring ceiling to make you feel closer to some higher power, right. which is interesting because the highest ceiling of all is the actual sky. Oh, yeah. And here we are putting a roof over it. We're preventing you from seeing it. But we right. almost kind of trick you by saying you're used to that sky, that artificial sky being only 8, 9, 10 feet above you. Let's put it 80 feet above you. And it, it makes sense that there should be a skylight so you could actually like see God during church and yeah. wave, you know. And that's the great thing of that. Yeah, you can do a little point, a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. However you however you worship in your own special way, yes. however, whatever faith means to you, pointing at God. <laughs> so this, this is actually surprising
1: because I thought that you had given up uh, a very secure sort
0: of living to uh-huh. pursue stand-up comedy. I mean, it it was secure mm-hmm. in that I probably would have still had a job and a steady income. And it would have been it, steadily right, rising. Right, and it would have been steadily rising. I would have, you know, after three, four years, I think a lot of architects make decisions. Do they stay at that big firm if they're at a big firm? Do mm-hmm. they go off and start their own tiny firm and redesign closets for five years before they get to do bigger projects. Wow. So many avenues in architecture. There really are. I mean, there's so many, do you go to just a medium sized firm that has a specialty? Like maybe it's a smaller 30 person firm that only designs schools. I don't know, something like that. I I had an internship in New Jersey and that was what they did. It was about 30 dudes, sorry, 30 men, women, all kinds. I just noticed now that I'm thinking back, I think there was only one woman who worked at that place Right, and they designed schools and that was a very specific thing and then you have a very specific knowledge set of understanding how schools right. work. and then you become known as oh those are that's the firm that specializes right. in schools and is that what you want when you're 26, 27 years old to now only know about schools right so there's a lot of choices to make and it, it was so it would have been steady in that sense that I would have had a pretty solid base of knowledge and usefulness for a lot of potential jobs yeah do you build stuff? Just, on just in general, account? just yeah. with some nails and screws. <laughs> I play do. With blocks I, at home. <laughs> that is my biggest thing that I miss the most about architecture. People will ask me if I miss architecture. Mm-hmm. No, I do not miss being in an office. I don't miss having to wear a certain kind of clothing to work every day. Of course. I don't miss having a boss who has a boss right. or an HR department that doesn't know what they're doing. I don't miss any of that. What I do miss is just making shit. Yeah. Just well, creating something physical. So you can build a closet, no problem. I sure. I mean, you you more built shelves in a closet, but uh-huh. let's let's tear down a wall in here and let's make you a closet. Uh, that would be great because there's actually no closets in this. There's apartment. no closet. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, the problem is you lose space somewhere gain a closet. Yeah, I mean any indentation in the wall, they could have just mm-hmm. put a closet, but could have they... made this whole thing a closet. We could yeah. be in a closet. Maybe this whole thing maybe we're thinking about it the wrong way. This is a New actually, York apartment. We're we're in a closet that doesn't have any rooms. Yes. That's what this apartment is. This it's whole just... apartment could be the closet for next door apartment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're in two adjoined closets. Your bedroom is the closet for the living room. Yeah I mean that's just what they do in New York. It's just <laughs> more space, no closet. <laughs> that's the way we should be thinking about it. But yeah I, I love any i actually bought a, a circular saw mm-hmm. uh this year so i could build some shelving uh in a closet nice. in my apartment and that felt really good yeah did you draw into plans the wall. and everything uh, i drew a little bit mm-hmm. i kind of i was winging it yeah i just started i cut some pieces i went down there's a small hardware store in our neighborhood mm-hmm. some guy who's been there for 30 40 years nice and he cut me down some plywood so i didn't have to carry a giant sheet of plywood through the streets right but, yeah, I was sitting there cutting wood, getting sawdust all over the place. Is that yeah, something you, good.
1: Did you... Did you have to do that in Cornell? Did they actually teach you how to yeah. use saws? Oh, we
0: had a full wood shop, metal shop. I've done welding. I've done all kinds of assembly of things.
1: So here's this very highbrow institution. And they're like, go play with wood and hammers and nails.
0: Yeah, I mean, because that's architecture. You got to get your hands on it. You got to know how to do it.
1: Right. But you it's also kind of to... like you could do that in BOCES as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <sighs> It's, I think it's, that's more, it's about architecture in general. Uh-huh. If you want to be a good architect, you need to know how to actually build something Right. with your hands, yourself. Not that you need to be an expert at it, but you need to have at least done it once. Just like the structural engineering. You yeah. don't need to know the size of the rebar, blah, blah, blah. You just need to actually understand, okay, there's got to be reinforcement bar in concrete. Right. It's got to be thick concrete if I want it to do a lot. Did your architecture firm ever get hired by the Trump Organization. Ah, uh, luckily no. Okay, good. Yeah, no, we did not. We a lot of half of our projects were in Asia, and I was oh. working on a big school that was in Korea, so that was interesting. I never got to go to Korea, mm-hmm. but it was interesting seeing the cultural differences and. There was a cultural difference in how they wanted the school built. Uh just how the Korean firms that we worked with just had you know their hierarchy and their respect of their elders and whenever we'd have meetings or phone conferences with them, it was just an interesting, you know, I feel like in America we're like, Hey, we're kind of all on the same page. Right. And then when it was something with them, it was about respect and bowing. And yeah, when Uh, the boss is talking, everyone is very quiet.
1: Right. There's a thing with age there. Uh, A Korean friend of mine told me that age is kind of built into how you address someone.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And this, you know, they came for, we had a dinner and everyone's drinking sake and soju and it's, you don't, ever pour for yourself you always pour for someone else and the younger people are always supposed to pour for an older person you're not supposed to have an older person pour for you oh wow that's considered disrespectful and you're supposed to stop them if they try to mm-hmm. and after enough sake everyone was pouring for everyone that right. that night but thank <laughs> <can't keep> you <laughs> but yeah we it was very you know me and one of the other younger guys on the team were going around pouring for everyone else yeah so, oh, thank you and you you pour and that must get yeah. confusing how do you know who's older than who I mean, for luckily for us, it was pretty obvious because yeah. these were like <laughs> right. Well, some you're really, right college, right? some really old guys. <laughs> and then the two of us, you know, there was, so it was pretty clear that these were the ones who should not be pouring. And, you know, by the end of the night, it actually was kind of funny when one of the bosses from this Korean company was coming up to me. Oh, Mr. Aaron, please, please. And then he would pour for me and uh-huh. I was trying to get him to stop and he just he wanted to. So I guess that's a sign of respect for me. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or just a sign of respect for uh, our culture. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was it was nice. It mm-hmm. was eye-opening to learn about those other cultures. Yeah. So what made you decide to do stand-up comedy? What was the itch? Yes. So I guess going back to even maybe your very first question about making that career turn. Um, mm-hmm. So I always loved comedy. Even in middle school, high school, I was in my improv group in high school. You had was, an improv group in high school. Wow. Well, we we made it. We just decided to yeah. make one. <laughs> okay. uh, we didn't actually have one. And this was when Whose Line Is It Anyway was really big. Right. So we were like, we could do that. And there was a really crappy improv group in one of the towns near us that we used to go to like at least once a month. Where'd you go? Uh, this is in New Jersey in Monmouth County. Okay. And we used to go in Red Bank at a, an internet cafe that was called just the Internet Cafe. creative name yeah it was a really dumb name um but they used to have an improv show every friday and saturday night at like 11 p.m and we used to go to these shows so often and Mm -hmm. it was usually pretty good but it was mostly high school students who would go Mm. and you know we would laugh and die and then we'd like talk about what they did and we'd realize that actually wasn't that clever but it was still fun we still had fun a lot of fart jokes can I get a suggestion? Proctologist. Right. You know, it was a lot oh of that. Oh, my God. Gynecologist. I can imagine improv in high school just being, oof. Oh, real was, low growl. It was some of the fun. I mean, you can't get funnier than proctologist. And then the first prop he grabs is like a hockey stick. Right. And a yeah. flashlight. And you're just like, whoa, this guy's great. This guy's hilarious. Um, but he didn't so, go from
1: X to Z. He went from X to
0: X. He went, <laughs> he went from X to W. <laughs> yeah. He somehow went backwards. Yeah, right. He, I mean, it was like... It was so much fun and I did it a few times in high school and I also used to perform in these competitions where you'd, uh, it was like a whole bunch of speech stuff. There was serious speeches, there was dramatic speeches, there were all these different categories you would compete in and one of them was called an impromptu category where you'd pick these three topics.
1: Was it a public speaking contest?
0: Yeah, it was like a public speaking, all these high schools would compete against each other and you'd travel around like once a month and go to these tournaments on Saturdays. And so I competed in those. But what was the theme of the public speaking? Well, so some were just, you would pick a famous speech. Okay. So I didn't do that. There were so many categories. I didn't do the debate ones. I didn't do the speech ones. I didn't do the dramatic ones. I just did the impromptu ones where you would get a random topic, like my life as a garden hose and you had seven minutes and you could break it up into preparing and presenting time. Mm It was called forensics. Right. Because forensics doesn't just mean the study of dead bodies. It means the art of proving your argument. Oh. So that's really, you know, cause that's what forensics is proving who did what right. based on evidence. But this was sort of branched out from just debate into also humorous stuff, dramatic stuff and just speech in general. Mm-hmm. And then you would go and do a little, you'd say I'll prep for three minutes and everyone would sit there quietly. And then for four minutes you would go up and either tell a fake story or do characters or do whatever. And oh, you weren't scared of public speaking. No, I love that stuff mm-hmm. that I, cause as soon as you would get a laugh, I yeah. would just kind of black out into it. And then I would finish, and I didn't even know what I said. (laughs) You had known of stand-up comedy already. Oh, yeah. I mean, my parents loved Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. and they had a VHS tape of Robin Williams live at the Met. Okay. So you had seen that growing up. Yeah. And they had showed that to me when I was really little, and I loved it. Right. You know, and if you're liking Robin Williams talking about drugs and drinking and all that, and you're... 12 years old yeah you know you're kind of hooked yeah (laughs) (laughs) even though i had and i had no idea i probably didn't even understand half of it right but i knew he had this energy on stage and this poise and this control of the the stage and the control of the audience Mm -hmm. that was amazing and it looks like he's having so much fun yes yes and you can tell he's having a blast yeah at least on stage Mm -hmm. and then so that was in high school in college. Turns out he wasn't
1: having such a blast. Yeah, it turns out there were some other issues going on.
0: Um, and luckily, luckily I'm okay. Luckily I have no, luckily my only issues are with stand-up comedy. Right. And my career and where it's going. I actually going. cry on stage when I'm happy off stage. Yeah. I'm more happy when I'm not performing.
1: <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't
0: be doing this. <laughs> I And then in college, I was in my improv group mm-hmm. in college. And then when I had my job in New York City, I had an internship even when I was still in college. And I did my very first Bringer show where you have to bring audience members to be right. allowed to perform. But so had you
1: done an open mic But I never now? did an
0: open mic. I never did anything, but I wrote out a seven or eight minute stand up routine. Uhhuh. There was a lot of characters, obviously, because I was doing short form improv. Right. So it was a lot of so my grandfather but on it the was Greek all side. Yeah, yeah. And then it, and I would just rant in characters and, and I crushed. uh uh-huh. I mean, this is we're talking like twenty year old Aaron doing an, a bringer show in the middle of at Gotham comedy club at the old Gotham comedy club in mm. front of a hundred people. Yeah. Just demolishing half. Cause it was some bunch of my friends in the audience, yeah. but 90% of the audience didn't know me. Yeah. It's that
1: weird beginner's
0: thing. Yeah. A lot of people do well their first time. Well, it's because one is you don't know how not funny you are. Right. You don't know how hacky you are. Right. So you have the confidence of someone who thinks you are the greatest performer ever yeah that beginner's mind that yeah. kind of ignorant sort and, of but that confidence is half of what sells your jokes yep and i like i've watched some of those vhs tapes you have them i, I have a couple of them yeah and a couple of years ago i found them and i watched and i couldn't believe how genuinely happy i looked on stage right like, I looked like I was on drugs or something. Like, I was just so happy and smiling. Like, it looked a well, little... Well, you're imitating Robin Williams a little well, bit, probably. Well, probably, yeah. <laughs> I, I was imitating what I thought someone on drugs might be doing. I just looked so in the moment and genuinely happy and passionate. And that reads. And I think the audience gets it. And then they're totally on board. Right. And even if what you say isn't that clever or brilliant or funny, who cares? They're just having a good time with you. Yeah. But watching it now as a
1: more experienced stand-up, do you see, like, a lot of times I'll see a beginner do well, but you you could tell from their act and their demeanor and their body language
0: that they're a beginner. Oh, yeah. But the audience might not know that. Yeah, I mean, but it's the kind of thing where, sure, they're doing well, and then you question yourself as a comic, yes. thinking, like, should I just be doing that crappy Am I material? Am overthinking? Am I way overthinking? <laughs> but, like, it's, I compare comedy sometimes to eating. Mm-hmm. where if you're hungry and if you want to laugh you go to a comedy show right i can feed you a plate of ritz crackers and at the end you won't be hungry anymore yeah it'll fill you up but would you rather eat a plate of ritz crackers or a perfectly cooked filet mignon that has just a tiny bit of sauce on the side right. that you don't even need with every bite but sometimes it's in there and it perfectly complements and can stand on its own and then this you know that sauce is the tagline that's brilliant like you're going to end up being not hungry after that too. But you'll be more, well, you'll be better nourished. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to do comedy that's a little more highbrow, a little more substantive. Yeah. And look, substantive. sometimes you go to a restaurant and they try to go too fancy and you eat it and you're just like, "Ugh, what, what's happening here? Right. There's just a little foam of a thing. And how did, how did you turn scallop into foam? You know, yeah. that, and then you end up actually still being hungry afterwards and a little disappointed.
1: Yeah. I have a thing with stand-up where there's so many different kinds of funny but mm-hmm. a lot of times I won't remember anybody's bits. But if I remember someone's bit, and I was like, oh, that
0: bit really stuck with me, that kind of means a lot more. Mm. Yeah.
1: No, yeah. that's
0: true. If you can remember. Mm-hmm. It's funny how often the audience doesn't remember. Yeah. And they come up to you after, hey, that was so funny. And then you maybe you weren't even on the show, and you're standing next to someone who was, <laughs> and they shake your hand. You were really good, too. Right. And in your head, you're just like, mm, I wasn't on the show, but okay. Well, that's why there's something about making an audience think a little bit while yeah. they're laughing. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. That, um, oh, but yeah. So, I did that stand-up. You did that first Springer show. That was, and I still was in college at mm-hmm. that point. So, this is like 2002. And you killed where you like, oh, my God, I'm going to be famous in a year. Oh, I knew for sure when I graduated, I was just going to be a famous comic. Uh-huh. So, I got the job in New York City. Was doing some open mics, did a couple more bringer shows. While you're in the architecture. Yeah, I had my job. I was about a year in. I was taking some improv classes at Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a, you know, a gunslinger and just shooting, knocking down and being a famous performer within a year or two. Mm -hmm. And for sure. Obviously, that was so easy, right? And this is like 2005. And I had a coaching session with Jessica Kirsten, who's one of my favorite comics, She's amazing. If you don't know who she is, you should look her up right now. Mm -hmm. She is fantastic. She finally has a Comedy Central special coming out. Yes, yes. She's recording, I think, in just a week or two. Mm -hmm. It's pretty soon. Bill Bar Presents, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So she's amazing. And she said all the right things to me at this coaching session. She was saying, What did she say? She was just saying, You know, I watched you and I was just smiling because I sent her a tape to watch before the coaching session. Here are some ideas, here are some punchlines. I think you should submit this. I want to submit you to premium blend on comedy central. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you on premium blend. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You can do this. And I feel like some of it was true and I agree with her. Some was kind of, not that she was purposely blowing smoke up my ass, but it was just like a little, you know, she meant it what she said, but it's not like I was then on premium blend a year later. Right. <laughs> like, but she was trying to fill you with optimism. Right. Least. And just be positive and And I think she truly meant it. Mm-hmm. So it was everything I needed to hear to justify quitting my job and really trying to go for comedy. Now, why did you have to quit your job? Why couldn't you do both? I mean, architecture, the problem is like artists. We, our work is never done. Right. You know, it's not like you're an accountant and you file that tax work and, Okay, there's nothing else to do for the Ferguson case. Right, but isn't it done because you draw plans and then you submit them and they accept them and it's done? Yeah, but there's always another, should we be doing one more sheet? Should we be doing a detailed elevation of that one wall Uh to show that one window and how it aligns with that? You know, there's always another thing you could do. Right. There's always another question. It's always in your brain. You try Mm -hmm. to go home and go to sleep, but you can't stop thinking, hey, should I move that door over? Right. Well, if I move that door, then I got to move that window. If well, I move that window, then the wall inside won't be. You know, there's always another. Yeah, it's not a job where thing. you can punch in, punch out, and no. leave it behind. And you're just there until late. We didn't have set hours; they were pretty flexible with mm. that. So it's not like I had to be there at eight a.m. That's how some salary jobs get you, though. You know, once you're on exactly. salary, you're there. You wanna you don't want to leave before your boss leaves. Yeah. And if my boss is there at seven o'clock, I'm gonna be there at seven o'clock.
1: A friend of mine a few years ago was so excited that she got brought on salary instead of being paid hourly. And then I asked her to, and she's like, "Yeah, it's great. I'm I'm working a little more." But then we broke it down. It's like you're
0: making less hourly, hourly, yeah, with the salary. Yeah, I mean, sure, if it's like noon and she's got to go to the post office and it takes longer, then they're like, "Whatever." So you're gone for an hour and a half, right? But you know, there's trade offs, and I just didn't, yeah, I was ready. I I I couldn't really focus the energy I wanted on Mm -hmm. comedy, especially if it was eight o'clock at night and we had a conference call with Korea and I had some show that I wanted to go to. Yeah. And I had to cancel going to my show and it happened a couple times. Oh, that must have burned you up. Yeah, cuz you're not getting on all that many shows back then. Right. I mean, now I'm not getting on all that many shows either, but that's just cuz, you know.
1: But you're you're <laughs> pursuing things more professionally. Like I see you're doing a lot of colleges. Yeah. You're 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 kind of
0: above just like I want to get on all the hip bar shows. Yeah, I mean, I'll take them if people Of course, if yeah. people <laughs> got them on. I need more stage time. I mean, well, that's because I've gotten so much more of a perfectionist with my material now Mm -hmm. that I want to go and tell that same joke 300 times to get Mm. the wording and the tone and everything down Mm -hmm. correctly. And, and it's hard because so many shows in this city, the audiences are so different Yeah, that something may do really well at one place. And then not that it'll bomb at another place, but it just won't do as well. And you think, oh, I should, I should tweak that word. I said that word, and then you go to the next place and you're in front of a bunch of tourists and now, oh, too many words. Okay. Too elaborate and then the next show you're back at a bar show and, oh wait no i do need that word yes yeah, so many variables i think <laughs> yeah. sometimes uh it's better to have a loose sort of delivery yeah if the audience is with you and it feels like conversational yeah yeah no, and you you definitely you need that time and you but you just need the stage time yeah and that was what i saw i just didn't have the time to do it right so you were like i'm gonna
1: dedicate myself jessica kirsten blew all the smoke <laughs> up my ass i am like i'm gonna encouraged. take that smoke i'm gonna
0: re-inhale it <laughs> i'm gonna propel with that smoke <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna shotgun that smoke that's in my ass and then um yeah i i, I went for it i had saved up some money mm-hmm. so then within six months to a year i had to work a lot of temp jobs mm-hmm. and do lots of things but you're you're what 22 23 in new york yeah, city yeah at this point i was 23 24 i think mm-hmm And so, you know, it was just, I was, you're the right age. You're in the right place. I had, I had all this energy. Yeah. So I was out, I was interning at a comedy club that doesn't exist anymore at the comedy village. I Mm -hmm. was doing phone call promotions for him in exchange for a couple spots a week. Mm -hmm. I was barking, handing out flyers for another comedy club, Sal's comedy hole. They don't exist anymore. (laughs) I, and it was, I was doing more shows in that first year Mm -hmm. than I've ever done in my life. I was doing 15 to 20 shows a week. Nice. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. I was, and what did that do for you? It erased your big, your beginner's mind. You just got
0: completely. Oh, yeah. I was able to, because in, in addition, I was also doing open mics almost every night. So mm-hmm. between doing an open mic every almost every night, and then sometimes doing two or three open mics in a night, and then also getting to do a real spot on a real show, I'm yeah. getting up two, three times a night, weekends getting up four or five times, I was able to actually write material and develop a comedian's confidence on stage. Not a confidence in because of ignorance, but a confidence because of actually... Experience. I've been up here enough. Yep. I know what's funny. I yeah. know what's going on.
1: Did that confuse you at the time? Because uh, for people that don't know, an open mic for comedy is just almost always all comedians that are ba- maybe half listening. They're and it's waiting. open to anyone who wants to show up. Anyone. So you get people that have never done it before and whatever. Those are actually the better audience members, people that haven't yeah. done it before, but... Uh, it's often open mics. You just do material to silence.
0: You know, if you get a if you get a smile or a grimace, that's a really good sign. Yeah, the only way you get a response is if you have other comics that you're friends with who are actually listening and right. paying attention, because everyone's just in their head. Yeah. confused or you say oh well that didn't work then that'll get a little laugh yeah they because they're they're not laughing at what's actually funny and they almost don't like when you do rehearsed material right they can almost sense wait a minute that's po- that's a polished joke right there mm-hmm. don't come do our open mic and do your <laughs> real material
1: yeah so did that confuse you being twenty three, twenty four, and then doing club shows also
0: i think i had gotten used to doing the crappy check spots and mm. it was It was great. It was what I needed at the time to build confidence on stage and get some more material written, you know, not only have five minutes or 10 minutes, but actually get up to 12, 15 minutes of, of material, almost none of which I ever do now. But I definitely remember having some audition after a year or so of doing this. And it was like a real crowd, the audience paying attention. And I was almost confused that I would do a setup, do a punchline and they were laughing. And I didn't have to stop to comment on their reaction to my joke. Right. I, right. I could have just gone to my next freaking joke. <clears throat> right. And I wasn't ready to do that because I wasn't used to doing that. Right. So a check spot for anyone that doesn't know
1: is when you do your comedy while the wait staff brings out the checks. So everyone's totally distracted.
0: They're looking at their checks. They're like, oh my God, $12 for a drink. What did we <laughs> get
1: ourselves into?
0: Yeah. So it's the audience is not usually paying attention as much. So yeah. maybe some tables are, and then you've got a comment on... Oh, you got a lot of confusion over at this table. Just take out the Amex. It's points, buddy. Yeah. Ah, this guy said will pay for everybody. Hooray. Right. You write material for the yeah. situation. Yeah. And you can't really, f- you can't develop a flow. Mm-hmm. You can't coast the way a true comedy set should go where you're just doing setup. Punch, and you, and, and you're
1: fighting for their attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. and you. But you get used to it and there you can get to the point where you can actually do pretty well. Yeah. At a check spot. Mm-hmm. The problem is you're then not... Prepared when the audience is actually paying attention. Right. And they want to laugh and they want to <laughs> look at you and give you their undivided attention. And you almost get thrown by that of, oh, you, I can just do my next joke. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not mentally prepared to just do my next joke. Yeah. So how did that change your. I concept? think it just made me realize I needed to have my exact five minute set, my exact 10 minute set, my exact 12, 15 minute set. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. I was doing graphic design. This is about a year or so later. Um, I was doing graphic design for another show that had, had shows every night and then multiple shows on the weekends. And in exchange, he was giving me a couple spots on those shows. And that was nice because I didn't need to be out on the street handing out flyers and then right. see those same people two hours later. I just looked like an actual comic who was booked on the show. Right. Um, so that was when I really started to then develop the set, you know, a five minute set, an eight minute set of knowing this joke, then that joke, and then the transitions into that joke. And if that doesn't go well, we can go in this direction and being ready. So that was, you know, maybe two, three years in that I was able to do that and then start developing not the weird material that open mic comics would laugh at, but more universal material. Yeah.
1: How did that change? I mean, it's also different. Like you must have changed depending on what, club you're at as well because there's so many different
0: audiences different tastes yeah i mean that's the the hard part about comedy how Mm -hmm. do you develop material that's universal how do you develop material that will work at a club in front of tourists and will work at a club in front of new yorkers who are maybe a little more savvy and understand more references but also work at a more alt venue at a bar show at a side room in brooklyn with 35 kind of hipstery kind of gentrifying white people that but are also, overstimulated yeah that are overstimulated and younger but then it's also mixed in with the people who've been living in the neighborhood for 30 years and 40 years and mm-hmm. you know how you get those jokes that work for everybody and the answer is sometimes you just can't sometimes it doesn't exist and you might not be the kind of comic that works for every kind of show right but there is definitely material i have seen comics that can do that same material, like Jessica is someone who could go. Jessica Kirsten mm-hmm. could go into any of those rooms, yeah, and just will crush, right. And I, she also has a very
1: high energy,
0: yeah, that works, yeah. High energy definitely is helpful, yeah, for that. I mean, if you try to watch like a very slow, deliberate comic that you need to be on board with, mm-hmm. that's I think always a potential risk.
1: Mm-hmm. If you
0: need the audience to be truly on board with you. When they are on board with you, you will do great. Right. But if they're not on board with you, you will look like a moron up there. Right. Like, you look like you have no idea how badly you're doing, too, because you're trying to stick to your guns, and I'm just going to power through this. And so then my dad said, and and the audience is to totally, silent. Yeah, the audience is too drunk, too rowdy. They're not slow. like Or or they're totally with it, and but they're just silent, and they didn't like your first joke. Right. And now you look like some moron who's like, continuing with that same stuff that you already know they don't like yeah where do you consider yourself as far as that energy and preparedness and scriptedness uh i'm at a weird place where sometimes i'm a little more energetic Mm -hmm. i i've had friends describe me as a frenetic comic on stage Mm. which is funny because i don't think of myself that way but i think when i'm hosting and when i'm when I'm panicked, I'm yeah. much more energetic. Oh, guys, we're having a good time. We're feeling good. This table over here. Yeah, you guys are good. So my dad, and then I'll go into whatever bit and then come right. back and jump around. And I I like being able to jump around. But lately, I've been watching some of my sets and I've been doing it too much. Too much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just do the material.
1: Now, is it different? I see you're doing
0: a lot of colleges. Mm-hmm. So is that different for you than doing clubs? Yeah, colleges are their own animal. Mm-hmm. They're fun. They're fun. They're exciting. They pay really well. Yep. You get to perform for an hour. Mm-hmm. It's just you. There's usually no opener, no MC. Maybe a student goes up and makes an announcement about come to the quad on Friday because we're going to be giving away cotton candy. Right. Now, Aaron Camino Smith, a comedian, yeah, is here. Come on up. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like the worst zero hype. The worst intro you can possibly get. Yeah. And even that, what I just did there was more confident than half of the intros you get. Right. You have to be your own MC. You have to be your own opener. Yeah. You have to be the own your own closer and headliner. You have to do all of it. Right. And you have to structure your material in a way that they're going to stay interested for an hour. Right. Because the reality is they all have their cell phones right there. Mm-hmm. At any moment, if they get bored, no, I'm just going to open my phone, scroll scroll Instagram yeah. and see what's going on. And it happens all the time. I mean, I don't blame them. There, there's a moment 20, 30 minutes into every college set where I, there's like a collective sigh from the audience yeah what do you do, start you do to about these people you just ignore it mm-hmm. you just know that if they're still sitting there and they'll sometimes they'll get up and leave right which is you can't take it personally because it's usually a free show yeah if they don't like it then great i mean i had a show a couple of weeks ago out in indiana where a good amount of people left about 30 40 minutes in and it was not that it was going poorly it was just going it was very like <laughs> Yeah. And they it, quiet. It's a long time was, for us yeah, that age. Once a l- these couple chunks of people left, the show actually got a lot better. Mm. And I noticed the laughs were lasting longer. Right. I started to get some applause breaks. The material shifted a little bit. I mean, it's hard because you have to plan, you know, telling some stories mixed in with setup and punchline and. Your setups can almost be a little longer, right? At colleges, and you're also performing in front of 19 year olds and 20 year olds who've never been to a comedy show before in their lives, and they don't understand what what's going on. They've been, never lived on their own. Yeah, they've so never lived on their many own. They've never had a job. There's just so many things. You're not gonna not gonna talk about. So being married's interesting, right? Even the know. common tropes of comedy. Yeah yeah so kids you know they don't know what you're talking about yeah my job well, they don't know what you're talking about nope. you can't go <laughs> into any of that they barely know dating. they barely know <laughs> dating they barely know it. so writing an essay what's up with that you know yeah. you can maybe do that so what do you do do you have a lot of material that's geared towards that age group i have some stuff like mm-hmm. i'll always joke about you know who's the kid wearing flip-flops even though it's 30 degrees out you know who's right. the kid in shorts Who right. you know so i i do a little bit of that But I have found they don't like to be talked down to in the way no one would want to be talked down to. Right. How about just being talked to? Like, can you do crowd work with them? You can definitely do crowd work. There are a lot of times they're more shy. They don't understand what is going on. When you ask them a question, they get confused. They'll then think 20 minutes later, he talked to me. So now I'm just going to yell something out. Right. And they interrupt when you're actually getting a flow. That is the danger of crowd work. You're opening up that gate. I like to do a lot of just where they're from. And a lot of times if you're in... Missouri, and mm-hmm. you're out of school there. Where are you guys? And everyone's from Missouri. So right. they don't even know. And then I, it's hard because I have a lot of jokes about New York City. Right. So I try to structure it as less about New York City and more just, so let me tell you about the weird things that happen in this magical place called New York City. Right, right. You know, instead of just like, guys, isn't it weird when, you know. And you can't be like, the subway's in Missouri. Right. They don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. So I, I do have some lead-in jokes mm-hmm. for a couple minutes about how crazy New York City is that I don't even do when doing those jokes here in New York City. Right. Well, that could be interesting to them. Yeah. So because then they kind of get that. I talk about like why New Yorkers are so tough and things that happened and things that it would, if you did it here, people would just be like, okay, you're not, this isn't right. new to us. Yep. So so there are some jokes like that. But in general, the colleges. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. You Are you finding nothing
1: with uh, the PC stuff and
0: oversensitivity? I mean, I feel like my response to all that is just read the room. Right. I mean, first of all, don't be stupid. Ask in advance. Is there something weird going on on campus I should know about? Any topics I should stay away from? Right. And don't be some like proud. I'm a comic. Don't try to stifle me. Right. Like they're paying you a lot of money. Right. This is not your big chance to, like, show the world who you are as a comic. Right. This is your chance to make money at a day job that's not outside of comedy. Mm-hmm. Look at it that way. You got on a plane. You flew out to Missouri or Iowa, wherever the hell you are. You're making a lot of money. You're going to tell your, your 60 minutes. You're going to make some kids giggle for 60 minutes. Get back on the plane. Maybe get a couple more Instagram and Twitter followers. Yeah. It does nothing uh, career-wise. You, you, don't, you don't have much, like, really risque stuff. I don't. I definitely have some stuff about race that I've avoided. Mm-hmm. I used to have some jokes about like, straight, gay, Here are some in- interesting observations that right. are like, making fun of homophobic people. But if you're not open minded to listening my to my whole bit, right. you might think I'm making fun of gay people, but you're not listening. I'm actually making fun of the people right. who Once don't like s- gay people. And you're not, you have to like, On board with it.
1: Right. But once you say the word gay, they could tighten up and get like, oh, yeah,
0: there's definitely, I've noticed, I've got done some jokes about the Holocaust where people get offended by a topic rather than the content of what you say. Right. Which is where we are these days anyway, where people are, you know, I hate to say, say like triggered, Mm -hmm. but yeah, people hear a thing and right away, who are you to tell me about this thing that is mine? You can't try to own my thing. Right. You can't try to own my situation. And it's like, well, then what's left? I can talk about being short, being Jewish, uh, having a beard. Right. Yeah, I was surprised when you said you're Jewish because your name
1: is Camino Smith. Yes. Comino's is very Greek. Comino's is, is, is totally Greek. And Smith is as like, straight, blue-collar, white American as you can get.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we were all blacksmiths. From <laughs> oh, all right. There no, you go. There, no, no, there are no blacksmiths in my <laughs> family whatsoever. I think way back, my great-grandfather might have like made done leather work and made belts. Uh-huh. My dad has a leather hole punch that he used to use for belts, mm. for putting holes in belts. Um, but no, Smith, that was not their name. Mm-hmm. They were from... That Poland, Austrian, Russian, that big Eastern European, the they giant Jews. There. They ugh, They loved them so much. <laughs> How much? So much that they had to hide in caves to mm-hmm. get away from the pogroms. So they moved in the 19 teens somewhere. Yeah to london there was anti-semitism even before the rise of hitler there i mean there's been anti-semitism from the time there were jews right there's been (laughs) why (laughs) did why did the romans tear down that temple you know that's (laughs) they hated the architecture yeah they didn't like they did they didn't feel closer to god because the ceiling wasn't high enough (laughs) no skylight there's a callback to all of our stuff um yeah no there's been anti-semitism as long as there's been semitism i think that's how (laughs) i think that's how that works right um But yeah, so they left from the pogroms and they, it's a good thing they got out because they were able to escape. That wouldn't have been good if they were there. Most of my family got out. Some were still there. That didn't work out too well. But the... Some were there during World War II? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then they were not there after World War II. Right. We'll leave it at that. And then, um, so when the other side, that is on my dad's father's side, Mm -hmm. when they were living in London, I guess they also didn't like Jews that much there either. Hmm. So they changed their name from Schneck to Smith. And then they were able to get on a boat coming to America. And the story was that my grandfather wasn't born yet, but his older brother, who was two or three, was sick. And they were supposed to get on a boat. And they didn't let them get on that boat. And supposedly that was the Titanic. Really? That they were supposed to come over on the Titanic, but they didn't because he was sick, so they wouldn't let them on. Wow. Lucky. Now. We finally found the actual paperwork, and it turns out they came over like three weeks before the Titanic. Oh, family so, lore. Yeah, so the story's not real. However, it's still pretty close. It's yeah. a good thing they got almost. On <laughs> we were so close to almost <laughs> avoiding a terrible thing. Right. Instead, they just came earlier.
1: So did they change the name from Schnick to Smith because of Jewish reasons
0: or because Schnick is just a funny name? I mean, I'd I'd like to think it was just because it was a funny name, (laughs) but I think realistically they wanted to hide how Jewish they were. Do you ever think about changing back to Schneck? God, no. No. (laughs) That that would be so bad.
1: Why? Are you scared of anti-Semitism here in New York? I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) Well, more here in America uh, with the way things have been going lately. But um, no, I just think it's a really crappy sounding name. And I have enough bits about having a hyphenated name and what that's like. What is that like? uh having a hyphen yeah i ask because of uh, personal reasons uh it's i mean is it if, a pain in the butt if yeah it's mostly and i have a whole whole so at the risk of starting to overlap into actual material it's just hard to get prescriptions at a drugstore picking them up they don't know it's never under the correct name right just in general people just don't and they say what's your last name and i say it's Caminos. it's k-o-m-i-n-o-s hyphen like Okay, Mr. Camino. So I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not done. <laughs> I didn't finish telling you my name. Right. It's Camino Smith. And they go, okay, Mr. Smith. And it's right. like, well, that's not my name. That's right. you didn't listen to what I just said. So why the Caminos and not just Smith? Uh, Cause my parents just kept their names. They kept the, when phone. they got married, they right. just each kept their own names and then they gave me both. Oh. And then my whole joke about it is that's very noble and forward thinking or progressive of them, but uh-huh. you kind of can only do that once. Now what do we do Do we keep adding hyphens and each generation adds more names. And then, you know, great grandchildren just have like eight names and it just keeps going and going. And, you know, what if other people were doing that and they had hyphens, you're combining your 10 hyphen name to my 10 hyphen. And then, and now we've got 45 names. It's ridiculous.
1: Well, like me, you're recently married. Mm
0: -hmm. Did your wife hyphen her name? She (laughs) decided to do whatever she wanted, which I... Not I don't care. I wanted her to do. I had no uh, input or sway. It was mm-hmm. whatever she wanted to do. She decided to take just the Caminos,, mm. which is my mom's name. Mm-hmm. Separately, she also changed her middle name, and she made each of her middle she, put, she added two middle names, which were each of her grandmother's maiden names. She just hates men. Yeah, she does. What, she has a problem with your, dad? no she my dad was totally cool with it yeah he well, wasn't I mean, insulted she, like. she was like there's no way i'm taking a hyphen mm. or a smith yeah and <laughs> she's like I, smith mm. and my dad even said he was like no i mean it's not like smith has any special meaning to him right because there's only two generations of smiths it was just my dad and his parents right there are no other i mean obviously in america there are plenty of other smiths but yes. yeah there were no other smiths that we need the smith Whatever whatever was going on with the Schnecks, I'm sure all that history disappeared in Austria or Poland or Hungary or mm-hmm. Russia, wherever the hell that was. So it's not like we needed the Smith to stay in there. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. I mean, it does just stop the lineage if someone was tracing it or they'd have to. You know. I mean, we got the Internet now. We've got, yeah. there's spreadsheets. There's Google Docs. You can trace it. You there's can still 23 it. And me, there's 23andMe. There's 23andMe. We can still figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So are you making a living at Stand Up Completely
0: yet? Completely? Is anyone making a living at stand-up? <laughs> completely? Well, a couple of people are. I, yeah, I mean, Jim I think Gaffigan. Amy Schumer might be. Amy Schumer, sure. There's a couple of them. I mean, I'm at a point, I'm actually not making as much now at comedy as I was maybe three, four years ago. Well, this is the tricky thing,
1: which is why like having a career in architecture is much more reliable. Because you can, you've already put in the work. And mm-hmm. you can stay right with comedy, with music, anything in the arts. You're only as good as your last joke. You you're only as good as it. your last song. You're no one would even as... know. Yeah, disappear. Yeah, no one would know if all of a sudden you don't keep doing
0: well in a year, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's i I'd, I'd say twenty to twenty five percent of my income. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I, I have other jobs that I do, and I'm so I'm making more than I need to live. Which is nice for the first time in a couple of years. I'm not just breaking even. Yeah. If I looked at just how much I needed to live, then I would say it's about a third from comedy, right? Covering my actual living expenses. Right. So, and and most of that is coming from colleges. And the
1: exciting thing is that you don't know what could happen tomorrow. You can get an email, there could be an email on your phone right
0: now. Yeah. With some amazing opportunity. And I'm in and I'm in airplane mode, so we don't even know about that email. <laughs> it's just sitting on some server <laughs> somewhere. It's just sitting there in the ether, in the
1: floating. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's the cool thing about pursuing any art. Yeah. Where if you would have stayed
0: with the architecture firm, probably would be no emails. No. no. There'd be nothing exciting happening yeah. other than, hey, we have a request for information about the ceiling height of that uh, fourth floor. We're going to need you to stay till 9 p.m. Yeah. Can you do a drawing for us <laughs> and send that over to Korea by the end? By end of day. Yeah. <laughs> god i hate that phrase end of day no rush but just get it done by end of day right end of day it could be uh 11 p.m at yeah night. in other words when you're done with all your real work you have to do right just make sure you stay later to yeah. get it done by end of day and you can always go back to that if you wanted to right no it's not going back no i think it's i burned that bridge because well not with that firm but in that uh, industry i i think i'd go back and have to like kind of start over mm. because i don't even know the drafting programs they're using anymore i used autocad now they're using revit i think it's a program called revit i don't know this stuff yeah and i would i'd be useless at an architecture firm so these these five years at cornell you have nothing to show for it except for how to use a hammer and nail i got a piece of paper it's in a frame (laughs) i finally got it framed yeah the funny part is you don't even get your diploma until you do a book documenting your thesis, your fifth year, you have to do a thesis project mm-hmm. and you have to then do like a 20, 30 page book documenting the whole thesis. And they don't hand you your diploma until that thesis book is completed. Wow. And so, so a lot of people will just not bother to do it because you're like, who cares? You already got your job and right. it's not until you want to actually sit for your exams to get your license oh, that wow. you technically don't even have your degree at that point. Wow. Did you, so you did it. Well, I was applying to Columbia to do a master's in real estate development. Mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to get into real estate. right. So I t- in order to apply, I needed to actually have a diploma from undergrad. right. I didn't have my bachelor technically. Well, wow, Cornell to Columbia, that's very impressive. I tried. I applied. It was a one- year program. You were almost so impressive. I was almost <laughs> so impressive. Now I'm only just kind of impressive. <laughs> yes. Um, if it if it helps, I can uh, I can juggle two tennis balls. Is that mm-hmm. impressive? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you can, think of, you can hang your, uh, you know how to hang your, your degree up. On and I know way. how to hang it. I know how to sink an anchor first yes. into drywall. Uh, you have a bunch of shows coming up? Yes. A lot of great stuff. Is this where I get to plug things? Yeah. Plug oh, it. well, everybody buckle up because we got a lot of plugging to yeah. do. All right. Um, so I have a weekly show mm-hmm. every Friday. Right. This is in Park Slope at Postmark Cafe. This is a free show every Friday at 8 p.m. And what's exciting is it's a clean show. Right. And I haven't yet figured out the way to say that without sounding lame. Why is it a clean show? Uh, for multiple reasons. One is it's technically a church that we're associated with that owns the space. They use it as their office in the basement. And oh. They have their like Sunday stuff there. Yeah, um, That's part of it. Although that's not really the reason. Really the reason is we want comics to, I hate saying safe, to be feel safe working on a late night TV set or mm. a whatever set that has to be clean. Right. So if you've got a comic up there going, guys, okay, so fucking, uh, my fucking balls, you know, I just right. I shot the jizz all over the fucking face. Yeah. Fu-. <laughs> if you got a comic doing that, and you're then probably Andrew Dice Clay, well, you're probably Andrew Dice Clay or a great, I don't know why I made him so Dice Clayish. But, <laughs> Hello, my fucking jizz all over his fucking face, whatever. Anyway, British that Andrew Dice Clay. was, <laughs> so that was really gross, but let's say a co- it happens where comics do that. Yeah. If an audience hears two or three comics like that, and there is good, there can be great jizz material. I know there could be very <laughs> clever, whatever, but if there's 10 minutes of that and then another 10 minutes of that, and then a comic wants to work on their set of, so I've got a hyphenated last name, which is weird. Right. Their late night TV set. Right. Mm. You can't really follow that. At least not right. It's going to take a couple minutes to get the crowd back on your side. So yeah. we want a place where the audience is tuned into cleaner material. Mm-hmm. And is the comics are challenged to write that late night set yep. and tone their set so it's good for a late night thing. Yeah. I mean, I just did it a couple of weeks ago and it didn't feel churchy or anything. It felt. No, because it's not. It's not like, oh, this is the church that runs it. It's not. Yeah. It's just that we like it to be clean. And not that it has to be, like, lame and boring. And, you know, it's not No, it's just... a good show. I didn't really even notice the factor it is funny when comics go up and forget that it's clean and they'll say fuck five times right and then they'll remember when they say like yeah who gives a shit oops sorry guys i just said shit right and it's like you also just said fuck five times it shows you as a comic how little cursing you need yeah and absolutely. how unimportant it is and how yeah is there is there some like darker material that i sometimes don't do there sure but mm-hmm. that's the idea that's why it's a clean show and right. half the time the audience doesn't even know and i've watched comics destroy their mm-hmm. being clean and then do that same set in other places not as clean and not do as well yeah and i'm always like hmm how do i tell this person how do i tell her she shouldn't curse as much right because she crushed on our show and now she's just doing okay right with the same jokes yes yeah, sometimes it can be a crutch yeah definitely so but so that's every friday mm-hmm. postmark cafe it's yep. called the living room show because mm-hmm. you feel like you're in someone's living room yes there's couches and chairs and everyone is there's no far away seats you can't hide anywhere you have a website uh that is living room show ny Mm -hmm. because living room show was taken i'm (laughs) sure it was (laughs) so living room show ny um it's also facebook.com slash living room show and Twitter it's on Living Room Show and uh, Your Instagram personal Living email. Room Show. Your personal website. My personal website, funnyarron.com. Nice. I am on Instagram at FunnyAaron. I'm on Twitter at FunnyAaron. I'm on Facebook at FunnyAaron. Consistent branding. That's That's good. first lesson 101. You get yes. a free marketing lesson yep. right now. Uh, so I got that show. I have a monthly show at Gotham Comedy Club. Nice. That's the fourth Saturday of the month. Nice. It's a 10.45 p.m. show. I also have a podcast. Uh, I haven't released too many new episodes lately, but it's a podcast called, but I also mm-hmm. a podcast exploring not only what you do for a living, but also what else you love to do. Nice. And I'll put links in the show notes as Great. I do. And that is, but I com. And I think that's all there is to promote and plug. I think, I think I've got it all covered. That's
1: good. I think that's, yeah. uh, that's enough. That's enough stuff. You sure? <laughs> yes. You don't have 10 more minutes for me to talk <laughs> about even more things. Uh, awesome. Inspiring. Thank you. And thank you. Gary, are you going to plug
0: anything? No. No? No, it's all in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. And Check out the show notes. Yes. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you.